0: Welcome to Vernacular Reality, the VR-focused extension of Language Matters by Diplomatic Language Services. Join me, Blythe Collins, as I explore how a language company can implement virtual reality as a learning tool. Welcome back to Vernacular Reality. Today we have episode number three. It's just me and Sean here, and we are discussing a bunch of different virtual reality apps that he has used in the past, some features that he likes of each, and how each of these programs has influenced his VR work at DLS. Hi, Sean.
1: Hi, Blythe. How are you doing today?
0: I'm good. I'm excited. Looking forward to talking to you about all these different VR apps and learning some more about what they have to offer us in terms of cool features we can use in the DLS program.
1: Yeah, there's, uh, there's really a lot of interesting things going on in the market, which is kind of one of the reasons why we think VR is so important is that it just enables new ways of doing things that you can't you just can't do on a regular PC or smartphone application.
0: Right. So I know our first category is creation. So what kind of creation apps are we looking at for virtual reality? Also, disclaimer, I've never been in a virtual reality space, which is kind of funny. So this is someone who's never been in a virtual reality space. So I'm looking forward to hearing about this.
1: Well, speaking of that, you never being in VR, we're testing within our application. We want to try to keep track of who has and who has not used VR so that we can always be sure that um, we're testing with people who have never touched VR before. People get kind of used to the, the interaction medium um, fairly quickly. And so we start to uh, we start to forget what it's like for very, very first time users. So people who have never touched VR become an increasingly rare commodity for, for testing.
0: Well, that's great. Then I'm encouraged. I'll never touch VR then. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So uh, for creation, um, the one that I have used the most, there's a couple of different apps, but the one I've used the most is um, Google's Tilt Brush application. And, um, and basically you have, your, you have your VR headset on so you can look in any direction you want. And you have two motion controllers which mirror the movements of your hands. And with those controllers, you can paint swaths of color in the air around you. And they, they hang there and, you know, they have depth and they have width. And um, you have a lot of control over different parameters of, of what you're drawing. So there are, there are different materials, like there's one that's duct tape. There's one that's uh, Christmas lights. There's one that's... Um, Fire flames and sparks coming off of it. Um, and and some of these more active ones have uh, sound associated with them. So you can use the wood material to draw out some logs and then draw fire on top of it, and then it will sit there like a campfire and spark and and make some some roaring noises, which is. Really cool.
0: Yeah, I was just picturing a a circle of Christmas lights around me. But I bet it can get so involved. Yeah,
1: definitely. Um, Because one of the other (laughs) aspects that makes Tilt Brush so interesting is that it's not just this creation app. It's also um, a bit of a social network of other people's creations. And so you can download these and then you can explore them. Um, And people have made some really, really amazing detailed environments and you you have you have the ability to move around in these spaces so it's not just a it's not just a thing that's sitting on your desk that you're looking at it's a it's a whole place to explore and and look around in right and and so that's kind of what i thought was really really important with this application was that this idea of being able to create things and share them with other people and experience them immersively it's just not something you can do in a standard desktop or smartphone application i mean you can make 3d environments on your pc you can share them with people but the experience is is very very different you never get that sense of this is a new place that i'm traveling to this is this is a fantastical environment of you know people replicating like the like the caterpillar sitting on a mushroom from Alice in Wonderland or, or a rocket ship Mm -hmm. going to the moon stuff like that. You just don't get that same sense of, of being in the environment of that, that play, that wonderment, all that sort of stuff. It has a much deeper emotional attachment by being immersive.
0: That's so cool. I want to use that one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was the big takeaway for me was that um, VR can, really do things that uh, a standard desktop application couldn't.
0: Okay. Very cool. Yeah. I, I want to use that. Very interesting. Next category we have exercise. I didn't even know this was possible, but yeah. now that I think about it, it makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. There's um, there's a, there are websites dedicated to uh, using VR for exercise. They, they have different apps listed that they review and, um, they give uh, they give like equivalency ratings for you know, what that application would burn in calories. Um, one of my favorites in regards to this is uh, a game called Space Pirate Trainer, and so it's not really exercise oriented at all. Uh, you you stand on this futuristic platform, you have two guns in your hands, and these drones fly up out of nowhere, all around you. And you have to shoot them before they shoot you. It actually involves a lot of calisthenics to be able to do it. a lot of lunges, a lot of squats, a lot of, a lot of jumping and, and quick movement. Um, your hands are always up in the air. Um, you're always moving around uh, and to, to dodge all the laser blasts and the drones and everything. The really amazing thing to me about this application is that um, it, it does get me moving and it gets me exercising. And I don't even really think about exercising. I'm just playing a game. I'm having fun. I'm having a lot of fun doing it. And it's got great music to go along with the the scene. Um, and it just it's a it's very exciting and it's very engaging in a way that say running the same three blocks around my house would never have done.
0: Yeah. Was it created with exercise being the um, point of it? Or is that just like a bonus?
1: I think it was, I think they leaned into it when they realized what they were making. Originally it was built just as a game, um, but then early on in the development, a lot of people started talking about how much of an exercise it was. And so then the developers making the application really focused on not playing up the exercise aspect of it, but kind of tricking you into exercising. you know, making it so that you couldn't just stay in one place and, and shield yourself, you know, in a corner or something like that.
0: You're getting some sort of benefit out of this fun thing.
1: Yeah. And I think that's another aspect of why virtual reality is so different from standard, um, standard applications is that, we can use these technology systems to, I don't want, I don't want to say trick you, um, but kind of goad you and incentivize you to do things that you know, you need to exercise, but how do we, how do we get more people to exercise?
0: I can kind of see how this relates to the DLS program already, because it kind of, like I said earlier, directly reflects it. It's like getting a benefit out of, something that almost feels like a game or is fun or something that you don't really have to like make a conscious decision. Oh, I'm going to go study. It's more like, Oh, I can go explore and this can be my way of studying.
1: Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. There's uh, a small amount of research in the area of using virtual reality for language learning already. A, A couple of different academic papers that have been published and they found that the the virtual environment really resonates with people and engages them, and they feel that they um, they are enjoying their their language studies more. Um, and so, you know, what are what are what are the things that our our instructors complain about the most is that their students don't do their homework. You know, if we can make their homework more engaging, more entertaining. <laughs> Um, get people to do more of their homework without really, without really burdening them with that concept of this is work. We can improve outcomes for our students.
0: Makes sense. Third category, we have relaxation. Relaxation VR app. Interesting.
1: Yes. uh, I use this application called guided meditation VR it has a It has a whole system for giving you verbal prompts on you know breathe in now, hold your breath, exhale, all that sort of stuff. I don't actually use those parts. Um, what I find very interesting about this program is that it has a lot of very detailed, very beautiful environments. That's enough for me to get relaxed and and kind of calm down, come off of the the work rush or or whatever. And so it's it's really just transportative in in a lot of ways. One of my favorite things to do is there's this forest scene that has a meadow in it. And I go and I lay down on my floor in the middle of this meadow. <laughs> and here I am. I'm in VR. My my wife has my wife has made comment on it about I came downstairs into the basement and I saw you just laying on the floor. What were you doing? So from the outside, I look completely ridiculous. But on the inside, what I'm doing is I feel like I'm laying in a field with you know, wild grass waving around in the breeze above my head, um, staring up at clouds in the sky, uh, which is just something that I can't do right now at 34 degrees outside.
0: <laughs> right. You're almost literally in a different world.
1: Yeah, I think that's actually one of the bigger components of what works with our VR application is that we're not tied to our real-life physical location to be able to have certain experiences. We can transport people. We can take people anywhere. We can give them an experience that is very close to being there. Yeah, I know. There are differences. Like, I know I'm laying on my floor in the basement. You know, it's a, it's a tile floor. I know it's different, but it's a suspension of disbelief issue. You know, people, people watch movies and they get involved into the movie or they read a book, Mm -hmm. they get involved into the environment of that story. So we, we have this ability to suspend disbelief and VR kind of pushes that so, so far off to the right, into the realm of reality. Um, one of my first VR experiences was, uh, visiting a virtual hall of mirrors at Versailles. So this was really interesting. We, you know, I, I saw this without having ever been there. And then, um, shortly after that, my wife and I took a trip to Germany, not France, but to Germany. And, um, we visited some of, uh, King Ludwig's castles. And at one of them, he replicated it. He, um, he designed it after Versailles with its own mm-hmm. hall of mirrors. How'd he do? You do? It, it was amazing. It was uh, to go from this space that I had only ever seen in photos and then to only seeing it in virtual reality and then to seeing a, a, a replica of it in real life. It was, it was an amazing transition. And and you get this feeling of a spectrum of where photos or or videos on television or on your computer screen, they're clumped together with each other on one end. And then virtual reality and being there in real life, they're clumped together over on the other end of the spectrum. That sounds so cool.
0: I want to combine the tilt brush with the meditation scenery now.
1: Yeah, that would be really cool.
0: <laughs> That's my ideal. So moving on to our next category, I see we have a communication.
1: Yes. So since the pandemic, we've all been at home away from our our social spheres. And one of the outcomes of that has been a lot of people have been using teleconferencing software, not just for work, but for social engagements, and that's both in desktop applications with Zoom, but also in virtual reality with applications like Mozilla Hubs, uh, VR Chat, um, AltSpace VR. Uh, some years ago, I had one of my first job interviews for a virtual reality um, software development job, and we did it in. AltSpace VR. And, uh, and today with, um, with the pandemic, um, there's a group of my friends that we meet up inside of Mozilla Hubs. And what's really interesting about these virtual teleconferencing environments in, in virtual reality is that you get a much greater sense of talking to someone's, to someone's face. Looking someone in the eye and having a conversation with them, especially in a group of people where I often feel like Zoom feels like looking at just a grid of faces of like, I don't know, you remember the... The old show, The Brady Bunch, with the the intro scene that they had, and they had the whole family blocked off in a grid of faces. I think I know uh, what you mean. Right, it's a very artificial environment, um, and software like Zoom was designed for uh, for conferences, for replicating the meeting, the the office meeting room, um, which is not an ideal environment for. Congenial social interaction so there's there's a difference you know there are different tools are suited for different things, and I think that telecommunications in virtual reality emphasizes the the communication the the back and forth of conversation over over teleconferencing in an app like zoom, which emphasizes the presentation so you get you get that ability to look somebody in the face. It's an avatar face, but it's a face. It's a target to direct your attention, which is really powerful because not only is it a target for you to direct your attention, the other person sees you directing your attention at them, which is not something we can do with desktop teleconferencing. I'm either looking at your video feed and you don't see me looking at your video feed because I'm not looking at the camera or I'm looking at the camera. And now I don't see you.
0: It looks like you're looking at me when you look at the camera. But if I were to look at the camera the whole time, it would be very weird. Right. Like I wouldn't be looking at you.
1: So I really believe that VR telecommunication gives a much more natural conversation than than Zoom, um, which is is absolutely vital for the uh the work that we're doing with our application because what what are we really doing i mean we teach people foreign languages but we're teaching people to communicate you know we're not we're not just teaching them syntax grammar and vocabulary we're teaching them culture we're teaching them how people how people say certain things you know, despite what the literal translation would be.
0: Right. Not just for testing, not just to get a good high score. Kind of, I feel like how maybe someone would have studied in high school. That's what it reminds me of studying for, you know, the AP Spanish test. You know, I was never thinking about how I would have to do, go live and work in, in a Spanish speaking country. It was more about like, oh, I can memorize this. I know that this is right. And this is
1: right. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. So you can you can almost imagine how we might even be able to replicate things like uh, different cultures have uh, different ideas of what's an appropriate distance to stand from each other while they're talking, which you could not do in, in Zoom at all. <laughs> you can do in you can do in VR. You can demonstrate. You know, you are, you feel comfortable here in this distance, but when you travel to this country, you're going to find people. Are uncomfortable with that distance they want to be closer they want to be farther away
0: that's pretty important to know very cool category number five art
1: art in virtual reality what is what is art in virtual reality um i don't know if we have a really good idea of it yet um but a lot of what every new medium does is it first starts by trying to replicate uh works from other mediums. And that's kind of where this uh, VR night cafe came in. Um, And it was a a 3D artist that um, tried to replicate and reimagine Vincent van Gogh's, the night cafe. Um, And he actually takes elements from other, uh, other paintings from van Gogh, including um, his work Cafe Terrace at Night, uh, Van Gogh had done a number of different paintings, kind of in and around this cafe, because um, he spent a lot of time there, just drinking coffee and hanging out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, and so, the developer of this application, they they put a lot of well, put a lot of effort into creating this sort of cohesive environment uh, around around these paintings while also keeping van gogh's style um so it's not a photorealistic cafe it's it looks like a painting it's three dimensional it's very colorful it's very textured um it's large you can you you have to teleport to be able to get around to all the different things um and it uh it has uh, some cute little easter eggs like um it has a 3d model of van gogh sitting in a in an armchair smoking a pipe and if you if you walk next to him he kind of he kind of looks down from his newspaper and he kind of nods mm-hmm. at you and it's a very cute application it taught me a lot about how we don't have to replicate the world in high fidelity we can do things in in a non-photorealistic way in a in a notional way we can there is there's still room for for design for art for aesthetic and we can we can also play with people's relationships to things that they've they've done in the past these are paintings that while I have not seen in person they are well regarded within the art history sphere and having studied art history you know these are these are paintings that I'm very aware of they are you kind of they kind of take on a, a legendary status in you, in your mind even if you haven't seen them um in in person and then to then to go to this vr environment that reimagines it it changes your relationship to the piece it feels very touching the the takeaway was that you know like like i said we don't have to we don't have to replicate the world exactly as it is we can also bring people new understanding of things that they've seen before and we can we can have an impact on their feelings, on their emotions.
0: Right, that's, that's very interesting. Very different from um, kind of like two-dimensional learning. Okay, next category, we have fun. <laughs> How did you take inspiration from a fun VR?
1: <laughs> uh, this is one of the... First VR games to come out with um, what we're calling the the second wave of VR. Um, so VR had first hit popularity in the in the late 80s, early 90s, and then it kind of kind of fell out of the public conscience. Um, I don't want to say died out because uh, many of the companies that were active in that time stayed active. They just uh, they just sold their products to military and industrial customers, um,
0: oh. and
1: were not focused on consumer products. Um, so, what we're living in right now is sort of the second wave of and of virtual reality and uh, kind of the first successful consumer oriented um, attack on VR. I Expect You to Die was one of the first VR games in this second wave. It's about five years old now, six years old. Um, And it's kind of this uh, campy send up of James Bond movies of... That's where the title comes from, you know. Bond sitting on a table, tied to a table. What do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die, that sort of thing. <laughs> and so the game is has you as the secret agent locked up in rooms where you have to defuse a ticking time bomb or escape a you know poison gas filling the room. Or different things. It's very fun because it lets you tackle these problems almost any way you want. There's one particular puzzle where uh, you accidentally trigger the security system and it's going to shoot you in the head with a laser beam. And so what do you do? Well, you have a lot of choices and it's, it's basically whatever you have lying around you. You could use the shiny blade of a knife to reflect the laser back into, into the laser emitter or you could shoot it with a gun that you find under under the glove box of the car that you're in or you could just duck your head out of the way.
0: <laughs> this reminds me of a um escape room in another world.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It is absolutely the escape room sort of experience with these really, really fun, uh really fun little um tools that you can use along the way. Little vignettes And I think what's really great about this game is that it doesn't try to force you along a single path on how to solve the problems. It gives you a set of tools and it lets you explore and it lets you play with these tools and it lets you combine them in different ways you know, you might, uh, you you might have to set something on fire across the room. And, you know, you have a lighter in your hand, but you can't reach over there. So you set a wad of money on fire, and then you throw the wad of money over across the room, something like that.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: And with, with my own user testing with uh, VR applications, um, one of the things that we find is that People want to be able to explore. We've given them this tool that allows them to explore an environment to a far greater degree than they've ever been able to do with their desktop PCs. A lot of new companies to the virtual reality market, they start off kind of trying to replicate standard first-person shooter genre video games. And they find that it doesn't really work that well because the traditional first-person shooter video game has a narrative that is trying to push you along and it's trying to get you to towards some goal through a very set path of how to complete that you know and and what happens to be hiding underneath this desk that's sitting in the corner of the room that doesn't matter your 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 goal is to get the gun shoot the bad guy keep going um keep constantly driving forward Whereas yeah. I Expect You to Die is all about, here's this space, explore it, find its secrets, look around, play with things, and and then go ahead and do it. And that fits how people seem to want to use VR. Um, that may change in the mm-hmm. future when people are more familiar with it. Um, but at least right now, when people get into VR, they don't want to be hurried along they're they're seeing things that they're seeing for the first time and it's kind of amazing to to be transported to this different space to have this level of agency over this environment to have hands to be able to pick things up to be able to look under a desk where other video games have never let you do that
0: yeah i would I would i was thinking i would imagine it would be really probably frustrating to be like in a new room that you know there are a lot of things to look at and you just the point is to not spend much time in there that would be frustrating exactly as someone who's never been in vr so that's that perspective
1: right and i mean even for myself where i have experienced vr a lot now still just want to explore and so that's kind of that's kind of the takeaway that i have with that is with our own applications not trying to drive people forward um not trying to create a narrative that they have to complete on our time schedule you have to do this and you have to get that thing and you have to go to this location and you have to finish the quest you know just kind of leaving things open letting people do things the way they want which i think is ideal for a language learning uh experience because that's that's what it's going to be like in real life. You're not going to have a, you're not going to have a quest log pinging in your ear, telling you where to go.
0: Encouraging exploration is what I thought. And that's pretty much what we want students to do and what we've, you know, the whole point of this. Exactly. Um, I can definitely see how you've tied in a lot of different apps to our, app. you know, we talked about six different categories. Um, Not, it's not that we necessarily were working art into our app, but I do really think it's cool to learn how these different almost themes sometimes of different apps that you've used and different games you've played, you can use that to create something educational and something that's going to um, help learning, even if it was originally pulled from a game.
1: Yeah. You know, not everything is going to have a very visible appearance within any application, but I think that's really important for any medium to have a very good understanding of what the design language is within that medium. And with virtual reality, we still have a lot to figure out about what is the appropriate design language uh, for the applications we build. So that's why that's a big part of why I continue to try out all kinds of different apps. I'll even occasionally buy a horror game, even though I hate horror games. Even on desktop, I hated them, but in VR, they're even worse. Oh, I bet. <laughs> Oh my God, they are terrifying! Back years ago, I had uh, one of my one of my first VR jobs. We were partnering with another company that did biometric devices, stuff like heart rate sensors and perspiration sensors. This was all marketed towards athletes to tell how their training was going. We hooked me up to the devices, and then we put me into a horror game. And the data agreed. I was scared out of my mind. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there, was, there was one point in the game where I actually dropped my controllers and I didn't realize it. I'm, I'm still oh. trying to do the things in the game. And I'm freaking out because I couldn't make my hands do what I wanted yeah. because I was so terrified. And I was so terrified, I forgot I could take the headset off. So there is an example of something we don't want to do. I think there is something important there in terms of putting pressure on the user, putting putting the user into anxiety inducing situations. <laughs> you want to give the user space to breathe. You never want to give them, you know, especially for a learning application where our goal is not to scare people, our goal is not to give, yeah, you know, I understand why people like horror genre uh works. Um, you know they they enjoy that rush of excitement that's just so far away from what we should be doing within our own application to the point of you know understand needing to understand what leads to that sort of feeling, you know, getting things right up in your face, having things hmm. change very quickly requiring the user to perform actions un- in this stressful environment. All of that can lead to the user having an anxiety episode and forgetting that they can, they can exit it at any time. It's really important to have a good understanding of if we don't meet these certain metrics, these bad outcomes can happen to the user. as stuff like nausea or headaches or psychological distress. And I think it's really, really important to always keep those things forefront in mind so we can avoid those. Not just, not just say, oh, you know, we're making a, we're making a learning application. There's nothing scary in this. So we don't ever have to consider that. Well, right. we need to, we need to put effort into considering those things just to make sure that it doesn't happen.
0: Yeah. Makes sense. So there you have it. We have six different lessons kind of that you took away from other VR programs and one <laughs> one I guess I guess that is still a lesson you took away. So six things that you that you learned to do and one thing that you learned not to do. Yeah. Well, that was great. I feel like I learned a lot. I learned just more <laughs> more about the VR world and what VR can offer as so that's pretty interesting to me. And as always, thank you, Sean, for being here with me today.
1: Thank you, Blythe. Thank you for organizing our podcasts.
0: You are welcome. I'll talk to you on the next one. All right, later. (laughs) Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Vernacular Reality. I hope you'll continue the conversation with us by searching Diplomatic Language Services on Facebook and LinkedIn, following us on Instagram at DC Language, or tweeting us at diplomaticls.